There's this really intense feeling when you are sitting under the moai. Watching the sunrise at this site called Tongariki, the largest site on Rapa Nui. It has 15 statues that are standing on a platform. There are no lights out there, so you get this sort of this majestic starlit sky. The sun will rise behind the statues in the darkness. And then the blue starts appearing, and there's sort of these massive black shadows just right in front of you. It really just looks like you're this tiny little kid amongst these adults that are having a conversation. From this angle, you're looking up at them, kind of up to their chin, up to their nose. And it's very similar to that perspective that you have of like holding your grandmother's hand or your grandfather's hand as you walk alongside them. When you look up and you're a tiny kid, those are the parts of the faces that you see. And that's what the Moai are. Vice Vice Vice. Vice News present the unfiltered history tour. Colonialism as told through 10 objects. My name is Sergio Mataurapu. I'm a filmmaker. I was born and am from a tiny little speck in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Today it's known as Easter Island. We, as a native people, call it Rapa Nui. It is about a five-hour plane flight from Santiago, Chile. It's five hours from Papeete in Tahiti. Growing up, I could always identify it because they would put the legend to a map, sometimes right next to it, if not right on top of it. Like, that's how insignificant we were to map makers, right? We, we as Rapa Nui descend from Polynesians. So a long, long time ago, between 1800 AD and 1200, my ancestors landed on this tiny little island and settled it. We are descendants of the ancient statue carvers that built all of these statues. You know, oftentimes there's a narrative that uh, it's a mystery of, of who built them and why. And, and honestly, we know that stuff. My ancestors made them. What we found when we arrived to Rapa Nui, we found rocks. Many rocks. There are plenty till today. Yorana Korua, my name is Tarita Rapu. I'm a descendant of Hoa Hakananaia Moai. And when they, they start to develop, my ancestors start to develop, they start to increase and develop the construction of huge moais or living faces, as we call it here. The traditional name is Aringa Ora Otetupuna, which translates to the living face of our ancestors. We have more than 900 moais. If you, you go out from this room, you're going to find a moai, like... 20 meters away from you. <laughs> the Moai are pretty massive. 3 meters to 10 meters to 21 meters. And they then sit on top of a platform. Go outside, look at a three-story building, and 
that's kind of how big they are. You know, the, the reverence of the, of the Moai continues to be an important part of Rapa Nui culture today. People spend time in front of them. People regard them as ancestors. We respect them. We get really pissed off when tourists climb up on the platforms or try and carve their names into them, which has happened, unfortunately. For us, it's not just a well-carved rock. It is a living ancestor, living. There are these two big stages to the history of our island. One is we make giant statues. Two is we have the Birdman competition. In the south side, you're going to find one volcano, which name is Rano Daraku. In this volcano, we built an entire village. In that place, you have a house. Inside, you could find the Moai Hoa Hakananaia. So this Moai was key to the Birdman ceremony. It was this yearly festival, essentially where each clan of the island sent one, I would say, champion or warrior. And it was this, this massive triathlon, which involved these warriors climbing down a huge cliff face. So I would say probably around 500 feet down into deep, dark waters, shark-infested waters. And then they have to swim out to these little islands that, that we have. They get to these islands and they're trying to find the egg of the Manutara bird, the sooty tern. You swim out there, you find an egg, you swim back, climb back up the cliff face. The tribe to get the first egg they get the power, the political power, to rule the island for an entire year to the next competition. This whole triathlon was really a social, political way of trying to figure out how to share all our stuff, how to share all the food and the resources of the island. And it came, it started happening after Moai construction stopped. What's unique about Huahakananaia is that this is a Moai from this older time participating in the rituals and ceremonies of the modern time. Huahakananaia, the most perfect tupuna or ancestor, living tupuna with the power of mana, we call it mana. Huahakananaia, because of his power, his mana, we get reunited again in peace. And you can even see it on, on the back of the statue. There are these carvings that are emblematic of the Birdman competition, of a new way of thought. It's the only Moai that you found a complete alphabet of the Rapa Nui history. You can find the fertility, you can find the rainbow, you can find the rain, you can find the feminine and masculine together. There are an entire language in his back. The West made contact with Rapa Nui in 1722. Basically a, a Dutch explorer that was sailing around the Pacific and happened to like bump into our island on Easter Sunday. And so hence, as things go, we became Easter Island. 
A few years later, in 1774, the British explorer James Cook actually arrives. But really, like, the point of Hohakamanaia is this statue was taken off of the island in 1868 by some other British explorers from the ceremonial site of Orongo. And he wasn't just kind of, like, out in the open. Like, the statue was buried somewhat underground within one of these ceremonial houses. So, in fact, the crew of of the British vessel had to take apart the house in order to remove this statue. And now, this very important statue is on display in a museum thousands of miles away from the people who actually used it and carved it. I th- I would say the saddest part of it all is that very few Rapa Nui have actually been able to see him. I get to this position of governor of Rapa Nui. I was leading the cultural campaign to ask the British Museum authorities to have the Hoa Hakanenaia Moai back. We asked to the Chilean government to help us politically to be heard at the British Museum to make contact with the authorities. We arrived to the museum the 20th of November, 2018. In the morning, they give us a special time to meet Hoa We get to the museum. We didn't went no other place. We don't want to go to visit no castle, no another monument. We get to to England, we close our eyes, sleep, and in the morning we just open it to see Hoahakananaya. The emotion we let it come out in that moment when I saw him, I could feel, I could feel it, and I started to sing an old song, which is a song for Tupunas who are away. Start to Bananga to talk to him and said, Moe Maira, Moe Maira, Koeteranga Tirae, Haere Mai, Matoranga Tirae, Grapa In the most recent years, there's been kind of a resurgence culturally for many groups of Rapa Nui to ask for our artifacts back. We invite the authorities of the museum to come and visit Rapa Nui and see Rapa Nui people, Rapa Nui children, how the Rapa Nui children compose and make songs for Hoa how they draw in the school Hoa how they dream about Hoa And we start to work in a, this memorandum of understanding, which includes three points. One point, it is we can send some young Rapa Nui students to be prepared in curatorial or things like that at the British Museum. The second point is we can exchange artistic activities from England to Rapa Nui and Rapa Nui to England. And the third, the Rapa Nui people can carve an special moai just for the people of London to be the ambassador. That's the three main points of the Memorandum of Understanding that we are waiting to to have. Nearly. (laughs) Sooner than later. (laughs) 
Rapanui people is Hoahakananaia, and Hoahakananaia is Rapanui people together. Rapanui history isn't completely clear, and that has to do a lot with the fact that soon after contact with the West, a lot of our population experienced things that, you know, really other Native populations experience. There were a bunch of introduced diseases that came in. There were slave raids that happened on our island. Our community was decimated. People were either enslaved or died down to about 111 people. Traditionally, we would pass down our history orally, right? We were an oral culture. And then now, all of a sudden, you have this short period of time when a massive amount of people either die or get taken, and that chain of information just gets cut off. I think of a cousin of mine. He was an amazing carver. He would make sort of wooden replicas of a lot of, you know, important objects of of our culture. He learned that I lived in the U.S. and kind of all of this stuff. And he said, hey, can you get me a copy of this book by Thor Heyerdahl that has some photos of some of these objects? I'd really love to carve them. Immediately I said yes, but there was a sinking feeling of like, here is a master carver on Rapa Nui who wants to learn about his past by physically creating these objects that his ancestors carved. It's not even that, like, he can just go to a museum and see it. He needs to ask for a photo book that is out of print of some other white guy that took pictures of it in order to create the thing. In simple words, Rapa Nui have the body, but use have the soul. We walk through this world without our soul as an empty body. When you get access to the museum, if you make him hear this song, please, it will be appreciated so he can could feel warm again. So... Make him hakarongo listen this song, por favor. <laughs> Please. <laughs> this podcast was produced by Jesse Lawson with research from Marta Vanderwolf. This episode features original singing from Tarita Rapu and sounds from BP or Not BP. The Unfiltered History Tour is a Vice World News production.